Welcome to Too Good to Be True, an investigative podcast about exposing the scams, schemes, and financial cults trying to separate you from your money. Well, hello. Welcome back. We are back on Too Good to Be True. We've got a new topic this week. We do. I am co-host Ryan Houlihan, journalist and drag artist in New York City. And I am Julia Lorenz Olson. I create Two Cents with PBS, and I'm an accredited financial counselor. So tell me, what are we talking about this week? What horrors are in store? <laughs> <laughs> well, the song that I have had running in my head the last couple of weeks is Silver and Gold, Silver and Gold. Ah, is it Christmas? Are we talking about Christmas? We talking about gold. And it does say in your notes here that we will be talking about the gold standard, its appeal to the right wing, and how they're using it to sell gold-based products. We'll talk about gold as an investment, both the physical commodity and ETFs. But before we get to all of that, let's set the tone a little bit for how our culture talks about gold. Now here are the solid gold dancers counting down this week's top 10 just for you. Please make your way over to the gold bar. Because we're good as gold. Because we're good as gold. Because I've got a golden ticket. Golden. Gold rush. Go for the gold. Gold. This is Aztec gold. Just made 800,000 Hong Kong gold. It's been wired to you. Obviously, the quest for gold, right? I mean, it's shaped entire civilizations. I mean, the history is long and storied and very bloody. And a lot of the human story, the expansion of empires, the destruction of entire cultures has basically hinged on the desire to get more of this stuff. But it's actually kind of weird when you think about it because – Unlike a lot of other assets, gold doesn't offer much real-world value. Pretty is not always useful, as I have come to find out. But yeah, I mean, as an asset, you want something that can be functional, like land or like... uh, Like, say, like if you own a business or if you have a handful of grain. Yeah, you can do something with that. Warren Buffett puts it this way, quote, It doesn't do anything but sit there and look at you. Gold doesn't have a lot of uses outside of jewelry that I can think of that make it so co- like coveted. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, John Maynard Keynes even referred to it as a barbarous relic. So if that's true, why am I hearing about constant ads from like gold brokers on the radio almost 100 years later? <laughs> like, Yeah. Was- and, and why is the something like the gold standard thrown around a lot as a political idea if Frankly, gold's not even the best-looking metal. Oh, just you wait. So I think it's good to start with the ARGS-4. Why are people interested in gold or the idea of the gold standards? Let's actually start with the gold standard. So really, I think it comes down to this, is that people are attracted to gold and all the different ways you can interact with it because it has a perception of stability. Unlike the dollar, right? Gold has been around for as long as we can figure out, right? Precious metals have been a coveted form of wealth for a long time. So it has the benefit of a long and storied history. Yeah, I mean, it's true. If you were to ask me to picture something I could use to bribe literally anyone in the universe, it should be oil. And yet, in my mind, it goes right to gold. So let's describe what the gold standard is. When countries operate on a gold standard, what they're essentially doing is agreeing to convert their paper money or whatever currency they come up with into a fixed amount of gold. And they set a fixed price for gold and buy and sell gold at that price. And that fixed price is used to determine 
the value of the currency. For example, if the U.S. sets the price of gold at, say, $500 an ounce, the value of the dollar would be a proportion of what that ounce of gold is worth. So let's say the value of the dollar would be one five hundredth of an ounce of gold. They can pick whatever they want, but ultimately it is tied to how much gold a country has on hand. Now, it's not currently used by any government. (laughs) Britain actually stopped using the gold standard in 1931, and then we followed suit just a couple of years later. And there were still some remnants of this system until 1973, when Nixon kind of kiboshed the whole thing, which I think is very interesting because he's not exactly the most liberal of presidents, and he's the one who finally um, put the kibosh on this. Nixon did a lot of things I don't think today's conservatives would co-sign. Um, <laughs> Bingo. Check out his health care plan. Um, so but my thinking on this is like, even though gold, as you said, has this perception of like wealth, of like I- I- inevitability, um, it's like cartoon wealth, mm. essentially. Like every time Scrooge you want to represent McDuck, money, you yeah, know? you put gold, even in video games. And especially oh, in video games, yeah. there's this fixed cost for gold. Like it always ends up being the same thing. You don't see the price of gold fluctuate much. Um, and I so I think people have this idea, but really you could have any standard. You could you yeah. could call it the butter standard. And, and instead of yes. that, the reason you don't do that is because it is just introduces more variables into the price that you can't control. Because the government could say gold is worth whatever it says it's going to pay for it exactly. and control it, but it also makes it vulnerable to other market fluctuations of gold that it cannot control. Yeah, so what the people who are arguing for the gold standard are arguing against is what's known as fiat currency. So do you know what fiat means? I don't actually know what the word fiat itself means. So I definitely was like, um... What are these cute little Italian cars that are <laughs> running around every there? But fiat is a Latin term, and it means let it be done. Okay. So fiat money is a government-issued currency that is not backed by a physical commodity, such as gold or silver, but rather by the government that has issue it. The value of fiat money is derived from the relationship kind of between supply and demand for the currency and the stability of the issuing government rather than the worth of a commodity backing it. Most modern paper currencies are fiat currencies, like the US dollar, the euro, and like our fiat currency is the dollar. Japan's fiat currency is the yen. So what does that, what does this mean for Fort Knox? Do we have like a giant pile of gold that we keep for any reason? We do, but I couldn't tell But it's not related to our money. No, no, it isn't. It is considered part of the assets of the United States. Yeah, like our weapons of war and national monuments. Exactly, yes. But it's no longer what determines the worth of our currency. Okay. No. So, and because fiat money is not linked to physical reserves, such as like a national stockpile, it risks losing value due to inflation. Or, you know, you can see really extreme examples of this when it comes to hyperinflation, where things just basically become worthless. You saw this in like the Weimar Republic in Germany in the 1920s. You saw this in Hungary immediately after World War II. The rate of inflation in Hungary was like, doubling in a single day. And I mean, even now in Venezuela, you see, you know, basically money not being worth anything. I mean, it's scary. You know, if people lose faith in a nation's currency, the money doesn't hold value. Yeah. And this is different from a currency backed by gold. You know, gold does have some intrinsic value because the demand for gold and jewelry and decoration. And it is used also in like the manufacturing of some electronic devices and computers and aerospace vehicles. One of the desserts, very expensive desserts. Uh, yes. you can buy. <laughs> Listen, I'm in New York and apparently you just like slap gold leaf on everything. And I'm like, isn't that toxic? <laughs> like, do you want to be eating this? True story. After we got engaged, my husband and I celebrated at Serendipity, which is a dessert shop in New York City that serves a giant gold ice cream. And at the risk of them never letting me come back, 
Not a tasty addition. <laughs> but the industrial uses of gold that we see, like in microchips, in the helmets of astronauts that go out into space, it's only 10% of what gold is used for. And, you know, when you think about it, what people will pay for, like, a piece of jewelry, that's also arbitrary. Yeah. Like, jewelry isn't a need. I mean, if you look at my collection, I might, you know, <laughs> say something different. But, like, it doesn't shelter you. It does not feed you. And it does not clothe you in a way that's actually protective, right? So I think a lot of the framing of it as, like, there is something essentially valuable about gold in contrast to fiat currency just doesn't really hold up. Well, that's certainly my opinion on this at this point. But I do know that economists are super diverse just in, in, in terms of thought because there's so few ways to test out their theories at scale that won't really affect the world economy, obviously. So they have lots of different viewpoints. And no monetary system is going to be perfect. They're all going to have benefits and drawbacks as we're talking about. So to understand the other perspective on this, we spoke to Germinal Van, an award-winning author of 26 books, who was born and raised in Ivory Coast and came to the U.S. to become an economist. He owns a publishing company now and runs an online media outlet called The Lake Street Review about financial markets, economics, business, and politics in the United States and Africa's capital markets. Germinal is critical of both sides of the political aisle, but personally believes in the value of a commodity-based economy like the gold standard. Though arguments for the gold standard are not ultimately persuasive to me personally, Germinal is extremely intelligent and compelling, and I think it's important that we hear out reasonable people on the other side of this viewpoint to help us understand exactly what we're talking about. The gold standard, I like going with the word commodity-based economy. This type of economic system has existed for over 5,000 years. And uh, so, the, so in a commodity-based economy, the value of money is based on a tangible asset. Usually, gold is the standard, right? This is what we use, but it could be gold, it could be silver, it could be um, soft commodities, such as soybean, uh, cotton, or whatever type of agricultural commodity, or even hard commodities such as oil, gas, or whatever. But gold is something that people agree with because they believe that gold has value. And the political influence that the gold standard has or the commodity-based economy has is that it prevented government from spending because the amount of money is attached to a specific quantity of that commodity, so it cannot exceed that. If it exceeds it, the um, the surplus of that has no value. So let me give you an example. Suppose that we live in a, a very small society and we only have uh, two ounces of gold and each ounce costs $10. So the two ounces cost $20. And our bank, our central bank decide to print $100. So you see that there's a surplus of $80. So those $80 will mean nothing. Only $20 will be backed by those two ounces of gold that we have because our money is tied to that. So the gold standard was a way to reduce inflation because since you cannot print as much as you want, you have to print according to the stock of commodity that you have in your, in your reserves. Therefore, it was hard for governments to print for their projects but that was good in the sense that it maintains inflation down because government spends usually more than it uh, generates revenue. But and uh, under a uh, under a, uh, a commodity-based economy, we would never have that level of inflation that we have today. The only thing is that during wars, it's hard because the world you have to you have to fund it, and you cannot fund a war with uh, with a commodity-based economy. So basically, you have to take the economy off that commodity and print paper. One disadvantage with having a commodity-based economy is the cost of transportation too. Because if you look at commodities, usually they're located in places where there are not many people, right? Whether even if you want to extract gold, you have to go in kind of in the desert to mine the gold and then you know take it out and then transporting it to uh, a place like to a, uh, to a to a plant where they're going to manufacture that and then transporting that refined gold now into the banks where where do we stock those those gold so there's a transportation cost that is incurred 
in the processing of gold and usually in commodities. Same, even if we use soybean. It's a, that, that was just like a, um, a point that I wanted to highlight is that it's not, you know, the gold standard or just having a commodity-based economy is not perfect. It has its flaws, but overall, it's better in terms of um, containing government power to spend money. Personally, I do not think we will ever go back because government will not allow it. It's the same with terms limits, right? For how long we'll be talking about terms limits? And have we ever passed a legislation implementing terms limits? No, because people like Nancy Pelosi, like Mitch McConnell, who have been in power for God knows how long, they will not want to because literally that's how they build their wealth. So for the government, this, the fact that we have a credit-based economy is perfect for, for, for government bureaucrats. But it's not because it's a dictatorship. It's because that's what most people want. I believe in markets. A -a Any common-sense economist should believe in markets. From a global perspective, it will definitely be better for developing economies specifically to have a commodity-backed economy because developing economies are still fragile. So it's very easy for them to fall off the rail, right? Let's take Zimbabwe, for example. Zimbabwe has a notorious relationship with inflation, you know, to the point that they were even printing billions of uh, banknotes, like $500 billion in one bank, on one banknote. This is crazy. And this was, uh, this was fiat, right? And Zimbabwe is a perfect yet is an extreme yet perfect case of explaining the problem with fiat currency. As I said, like the thing with the gold standard or even a commodity-based economy concept is more political than economic per se, right? It's just political. It's more like keeping government bureaucrats in check. So I would say for um, for developing countries like Latin America or Africa or even Southeast Asia, it, it would be better to have a commodity-based economy. For the U.S., I will definitely support the commodity-based economy as well, but where I think, as I say, government will not allow it. So why is there so all this energy and discussion around gold standard, or even just all these services that are like, sell your gold to mm -hmm. us, or like buy gold from us, or, you know, there there's a lot of energy in the sector. A lot. And I think it's because there are large groups of people that this fits a political persona of and like philosophy. So the image of gold is able to offer basically kind of simple solutions to very okay. complicated problems. And it taps into these sentiments of like a return to greatness. Oh boy. Nationalism, we associate strength with you know, vast piles of wealth in gold. Yeah, gold makes for really great marketing. Say if you were a politician and a businessman who lived in a golden tower and you had a reality show pushing that image, yeah. that would really impact how people think about <laughs> the, you know, substance. Yeah, and I mean, the indoctrination even starts it with children. I mean, think about Scrooge McDuck, right? Yeah. When you think about what is wealth, it is this image of just marveling in the gold that's just all around you, right? Gold member was literally about this. <laughs> and so in this group of people, in their minds, if you can just print your own money and say it's worth X, then that's too risky. Yeah, we can't have any of these social constructs. I think they get a lot of mileage around framing liberals as spendthrifts. So, of course, they freak out if they think that, oh, well, if we're just on fiat currency for the rest of history, then what's to stop people from just printing money? It's like they're halfway there. Yeah. And this is not like a uniquely American thing. This is very much a global sort of right-wing stand. So in 2010, there's a precious metals blogger called Peter Burringer, and he posted an image of like Karl Marx's head floating over Frankfurt, which is the home of the European Central Bank. And basically his implication is that by not having a gold standard, it means we're socialist and it paves if the only. way to government overreach and economic collapse. And this dude, he now sits in the German Bundestag for the Alternative for Germany Party, the AFD, and chairs the parliament's 
budget committee. Oh, my God. This dude, right? I mean, Marine Le Pen, the far-right leader in France, she launched a campaign to, like, basically return French gold deposits to France that are currently being kept in New York. She says that the gold bars, quote, do not belong to the state nor the Bank of France, but to the French people. So I'm like, where's the delineation between the state and the French people? I don't one. Yeah, tell me exactly where that line is. The other. <laughs> and even in Italy, you have Prime Minister Matteo Sal- Salvini. He threatened to plug a gap in the budget by selling off some <laughs> of their deposits. In Poland in 2018, They began sort of stockpiling gold in Hungary under the leadership of Viktor Orban. They've like multiplied their gold reserves tenfold. So this is really having an impact on a global level. And you say that this isn't a totally American, um, and I guess that this isn't a totally American phenomenon, but I do feel, I really associate this with like Fox News commercials. You don't, you see a lot of this messaging in specific venues, which I feel like should always flag to people that there's something off. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, media on the whole over the last few decades has pretty much devolved into political camps. You know, you have conservative branded radio, TV, internet newsletters, you know, all the things. No matter your age or taste, you can find a specifically branded conservative media outlet that caters to your specific wants. And these outlets are made possible not by public, right? You have NPR that is backed by public funding. These are all privately held profitable companies. And so how do they make their money? By ads, right? (laughs) By placing ads. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these constituencies look like largely white, largely male. And so they center on white male issues and they exploit white male fears. Manufactured demand. Well, in a piece titled Gold Sellers Find Fertile Ground Among Trump Supporters Gripped by Banking Angst from the Financial Post, Mark Niquette writes, quote, listen to a broadcast on a right-leaning network or podcast, scroll through Donald Trump's truth social feed, or attend a convention with conservatives, and chances are you'll hear a pitch to buy gold. We've just seen that there's massive interest in this market that responds to what our messaging is, said Ray Griggs of Advantage Gold in an interview at the CPAC booth. We've found that if we target some things on the left, it's crickets. While the target group for gold has historically been politically conservative, the pitches have become more pessimistic to match the shift in the Republican Party under Trump, said Philip Deal, the 35th director of the U.S. Mint and president of gold and silver dealer U.S. Money Reserve. Trump has advocated for the U.S. to return to the gold standard and nominated a Federal Reserve board member who once did. He is also a gold aficionado, decorating his properties and even the Oval Office in gold materials. He owns between 100,000 and 250,000 US dollars in gold, according to his 2021 financial disclosure report. Jonathan Rose, chief executive of Genesis Gold Group, said his company doesn't necessarily target conservatives or Trump supporters, but does advertise in, quote, America First publications and websites. Those publications also request interviews because it fits with their audience, he said. Also, right-wing conservative media grifter Ben Shapiro provided some insight into this world for an Axios piece by Lachlan Markey entitled, quote, Conservative Media's Gold Diggers. Because Shapiro frequently targets my community with vicious mocking and relentless bullying, as well as calls for further discrimination against us, I feel entirely comfortable doing an imitation of his voice for this. Quote, I don't advertise products I don't believe in. I diversify my portfolio. I think others should, too. That's particularly true when the federal government actually engages in both short-term and long-term fiscal policy and threatens the value of the dollar, as it is right now. Unquote. Axios also spoke with Steve Bannon, who isn't worth imitating, 
who said his focus on monetary policy is central to a Biden-era conservative agenda. Quote, you're going to have to be as sophisticated about that as you are about critical race theory. Gold, he says, was the my pillow of its day, meaning an old school sponsor of virtually every media conservative talk show. But he said he's leaned on Birch Gold's Philip Patrick, their precious metals specialist, for expertise because, quote, the audience loves him. Oh my God, they're all so gross. One of the things that sets these people apart and why they're being specifically targeted with gold ads is, one, they're more likely to have disposable income to think Mm. about this stuff, right? They're not afraid they can't afford rent or that their needs aren't being taken care of. So they're looking at society as a whole shifting around them. And these outlets specifically push a fear and doom and gloom agenda even when they're in power. Like, it's never like, oh, man, we got our dude in the White House. Everything is great. It's still like... Always a new crisis. Always a new war on Christmas. Doom and gloom. And so they're really largely advertising to the same demographics that these politicians that we just talked about are speaking to. Overwhelmingly white, male, higher income, and conservatively named. This is also like the, like dichotomy you see that really also appeals to like fascistic conservative ways of thinking which is that your enemy is really weak and could collapse at any time which is why you hate them but also infinitely strong and so the only (laughs) way we can fight them is as a group if we all do this one blanket solution you know that me this one great man is telling you and without critically thinking about like why like of course one solution is going to work for everybody of course the solution is not simple and of course something can't be incredibly powerful and effective and also super weak and prone to collapse at any time like mm-hmm. you have to connect those things for people and they don't because it, it's like a psychological trick yeah right whichever thing you want to believe about them can be true and both should motivate you towards the only one course of action i'm presenting <laughs> like the gold standard is the only alternative yeah. and we all need to get on board Hey guys, it's Chelsea here, and I'm just popping in to let you know about the Society at TFD, our exclusive members-only community available to join here on our YouTube channel, as well as on Patreon. If you want to support TFD and the special projects we work on, like fan-favorite podcast Too Good to Be True, we'd love for you to join. Giving to TFD directly is the best way to ensure that we can keep making the content you most want from us. The Society is available both on YouTube and Patreon, and before you ask, the membership offerings are very similar on both platforms, so you only need to join one. Some people prefer YouTube, so join us there. Prefer Patreon? Join us there. And since you guys have been asking for clarification, here's a breakdown of what you guys get for each tier on each platform. On YouTube, our membership tiers are $2.99 and $4.99. For $2.99, you get loyalty badges and Mon emojis on YouTube, 40% off TFD digital events, monthly office hours with Chelsea, access to our Discord community, access to our monthly book club, and access to our questions answered by me or guests on the Financial Confessions. For $4.99, you get everything from the $2.99 tier, plus exclusive ad-free videos each month where you can catch me rant about Dave Ramsey, TikTok face, girl bossing, goop, and so much more, entire backlog of ad-free bonus videos, 50% off TFD live digital events on everything from $12 workshops to $199 courses, priority access to get your questions answered by me or guests on the Financial Confessions. And over on Patreon, our tiers are $7 and $12. For $7 a month, you get exclusive ad-free videos each month, our entire backlog of ad-free bonus videos, 50% off TFD live digital events on everything from $12 workshops to $199 courses, monthly office hours with Chelsea, access to our Discord community, access to our book club, automatic enrollment in exclusive Patreon-only newsletters, priority voting on the monthly book club selection, and priority access to get your questions answered by me or guests on the Financial Confessions. For $12, you get everything from the $7 level, plus our weekly Ask TFD Anything newsletter, where you get your personal questions answered by the TFD team. No topic is too small or too big to ask. The Society has something for everyone, so click the link in the description of this episode to join us on your preferred platform. Yeah. And I mean, this has been very lucrative for these programs to run buy gold advertisements. I mean, they really proliferated in that space. And this was my favorite quote from our favorite, Glenn Beck. I love him. I think perfectly illustrates the 
basically complete lack of a line between someone posing as like a journalist asking questions and doing research and straight up advertising. So this is something he said on his own show. If you've been watching for any length of time and you still haven't looked into buying gold, what's wrong with you? When the system eventually collapses and the government comes with guns and confiscates, you know, everything in your home and all your possessions, and then you fight off the raving mad cannibalistic crowds that Ted Turner talked about, don't come crying to me. I told you, get gold. Oh, and he's got to bring Ted Turner into it. How did this man spend so much time with Jane Fonda? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like you, if truly like the mad, I don't know, this like French revolution that we're having where people's heads are being paraded around the streets, you think offering somebody a bar of gold is going to stop them? I just don't understand what The this solution is. to your and all of our economic problems is simply to purchase this thing. Yeah. Like, it's almost as if they want it to be this way so bad. Either the solution is right for them or the problem feels right for them. That they're willing to push the other one in order to make the narrative real. But the, I think the only way this makes sense to people is if there is an underlying fear. Mm-hmm. An underlying fear of that enemy, right? That you are, that I think you so perfectly stated, this like weak enemy that's just basically on the brink of collapse, but also like super powerful and can come and take everything in your home and yeah. all your possessions and throw you out in the street. Like their economy doesn't work, but somehow they're ultra powerful yeah. and going to be inevitably crushing you. Like, ugh. And really what all of this is is just exploiting people's ignorance and their lack of time and resources to actually understand something that has been made as complex as an economy. But (laughs) the answer to something that complex is not going to be just like buy some gold. Definitely. And now maybe you don't spend all of your time on you know, conservative (laughs) radio. But even if you haven't been inundated with ads for gold as like this ultimate stable investment for those who just know better, you've almost certainly come across sales pitches for a similar concept that has had a lot more purchase with the younger generation in the past few years. Cryptocurrency. Heard of it. (laughs) And while there are obvious differences, I mean, most notably, gold has a physicality right, that the digital world just can't reproduce. The appeal is often the same, and the targeted demographics, they really heavily overlap. So both Bitcoin and gold are stateless, right? They are removed from government at some level, and they provide a base money that is reliably limited in quantity, unlike a fiat currency that a central bank can just create in any quantity it wants, whenever it wants, you know, for whatever purposes it deems worthy. But it sounds like very similar to cryptocurrency. The gold standard is a winner-takes-all situation. Yeah. So essentially, it's not like the people can come in and say, like, you can't control the entire economy to the person with the most money. Uh, and that ultimately, it sounds like independence, like, oh, I'm free yeah. from state control or whatever. But what you're doing is just replacing one person in control of the market with someone else unelected. Yes, exactly. Exactly. With somebody unelected. I think that's the perfect point to make. And I think it is worth noting that a lot of these media outlets that are placing all of these gold ads hold massive investments themselves in the value of as well as the hosts who are being paid to sell this product outright as well to just like add to some perceived sense of like economic and political legitimacy. So it's like your cousin who got into Bitcoin and is super enthusiastic (laughs) and no matter what you say back, he's like, but I want the price of Bitcoin to go up. So it's a Ponzi scheme. (laughs) 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 Well, actually, let's talk about why this doesn't pan out right? Why the gold standard doesn't work. So Richard Thaler, who's, you know, very popular economist, he's out of the University of Chicago. He said, economics is often a contentious subject, but economists agree about the gold standard. It is a barbarous relic that belongs in the dustbin of history. The library is open. Turn your books to the economy. (laughs) (laughs) He did not couch that, right? Like, that's very, very explicit. So why doesn't the gold standard work? Well, 
capitalism as a system of building an economy is always changing and shifting. And it requires a currency that can be flexible to its needs. Gold is very inflexible, especially when you think about it just in terms of like material supply. This was fascinating to me. So according to the U.S. Geological Survey, around, they estimate, 190,000 tons of gold has been mined currently throughout kind of the course of history. And they estimate that there's maybe about 50,000 left. And a lot of that is just not economically viable to get at at this point. So, you know, based on these figures, there's like maybe 20% left. Think about what has been happening in the globe, right, over these last millennia since sort of humans came on the scene. Population and production are going up, but the supply is going down. So by basically outsourcing monetary policy decisions to how much of this stuff we have, it prevents things like the central bank and governments to fight things like recession. Because when we peg the dollar to gold, we have to reduce the amount of money available through tools like raising interest rates when gold is scarce, regardless of like the state of the economy, right? And so the gold standard is by definition, a deflationary currency as its value is pegged to a fixed quantity of gold that is held by a government at any given time. And you can't expand it unless you mine it. <laughs> it's both fixed and more chaotic. Yes. And the people who can have any level of control over it are not elected or even incentivized to do anything but for themselves. Yeah. And this kind of inflexibility of gold was one of the major causes of the Great Depression. You know, governments were basically forced to tighten policy at like the worst possible moment. And it's really no coincidence that the sooner a country basically abandoned the gold standard, the sooner it started recovering. When we're thinking about deflationary currencies, one of the big problems is that the earlier you buy in, the more value you have. And so if you were able to acquire the currency at a lower value, ah. you see it rise as scarcity increases. So that's the only way it's an investment. Otherwise, no piece of jewelry is an investment piece or whatever. So basically, if you're in early, you've got it made. If, you're gra if your great-great-great-grandfather bought gold and like it's still in the family somehow, I mean, yes, you can frame that as a good investment ish it's still in a form that isn't really usable yeah right but just from like it's as arbitrary as anything else yes it is that's ultimately what it comes down to is that it is arbitrary so while a pile of gold isn't something i would turn my nose up at it's not necessarily right. worth like hoarding you know that's interesting you bring that up because you know i'm a i have a business where i you know help people financial plan and stuff and I can count on more than one hand how many, like, young inheritors I have seen during my time who are inheriting or even being given it as, like, a wedding gift from, like, their super right-wing aunt or uncle for their wedding or whatever. And it's always a chore to figure out what to actually do with this. So we'll get to this in a minute, but... Aren't you supposed to bury it and put a big X on top yeah. and then create a map? I mean, that's what I tell them. <laughs> <laughs> so like in theory, yes, of course, like I would rather inherit gold than nothing, I guess. But extracting the actual working value out of something like that is really difficult. And I think these people sort of miss that. Yeah. yeah, it's not really a gift if I have to pay a whole portion of it in taxes to even use it or like pay to store it or like, how is that a gift? Oh. And I think part of the reason that makes it so easy to sell is that, you know, we're living in a time largely dominated by fiat currency where many living people have no memory of what living in a true gold standard economy feels like. And so it's really easy to sort of highlight the flaws 
<laughs> of what's going on now and where we've sort of evolved um, when people don't have any living memory to yeah, you compare just have pieces it to. of narrative. Yeah, exactly. From which you can spin any good sounding story. Yeah. So let's start to pick apart why gold doesn't work. Up, you know, separate from just the gold standard, right, which we know we have let go of at this point. Why doesn't it just work as a personally held investment, right? Why is it not necessarily a great idea to go after buying gold? So I think there's a very strong case to be made that gold is actually a lot more risky than the stock market. And that's because of volatility, so think like waves on an ocean, right? A stormy sea has high volatility. You have a big gap between the crest of the wave and the trough of a wave, right? The, the top most part and the lowest part. A calm sea is less volatile. You have a much shorter distance between the top and the bottom of a wave. And the way we measure volatility within economics and as like individual investors is through something called standard deviation. The higher standard deviation, the riskier the investment. And since 1975, gold's standard deviation has actually been about 50% greater than stocks. So we're talking about an investment that over the long haul, like returns far less than stocks, but has higher risk. Ah, so compared to stocks, gold is in fact fool's gold. <laughs> yeah. Well, the main way that people frame this actually isn't necessarily as a wealth builder, but rather as a wealth protector. So a lot of investors frame gold as like this perfect hedge for inflation. And this is because though the supply of U.S. dollars go up, the amount of gold has been remaining relatively the same. But that argument is usually lacking kind of the context of time frame. And if you just compare it to like treasury bonds, bonds pay far better during times of inflation for the most part. And also, I mean, say you're going to give someone a gift. Either you're going to give them a bond or you're going to give them a gold nugget. Do you trust there will be someone there in 20 years to purchase the gold nugget for the right price or that the United States government will exist? Yeah. So like in the late 80s, when inflation went from like, you know, one to six percent gold prices were sagging and they're kind of up at the time of this recording but like for most of 2021 when all we could hear about was inflation as we talk about in another episode they were going down right gold was falling in value so this is just it just doesn't stack up but even if you do find a commodity-based economy like the gold standard compelling as an idea Investing in gold might still be a really bad idea for you. And we're not alone in thinking this. Even Germinal Van, who does prefer a commodity-based economy, does not personally invest in gold. Here's Germinal talking about that. Personally, I do believe in a commodity-based economy, but I don't own any gold. I do invest in the stock market, of course. Like, but I, like, personally, I don't, see the point of having gold in my room and sitting there because to me gold is not a productive asset right it's important to understand that a productive asset is an asset that generates income on its own gold doesn't generate any income it's just there to make money from gold you have to go and sell it but when you own microsoft or apple or ford stock they're generating dividends they're just they're just sitting in your phone there you check the market once in a while they tell you, hey, in June, June 1st, you're going to get X amount for your dividends. That's a productive asset. But gold is not. So it just, I think it's more like for people to buy product over another. Now that's all it's about. It's all affiliate marketing. That's literally what it is. I mean, I'm not saying people shouldn't buy gold. Personally, I don't. I, it's just heavy. I don't want to have like that heavy thing in my, my room. Like, no. And it's just there doing what? Doing nothing. Like, no. It's true that gold is historically proven to be a, the best hedge against inflation. Sure. But uh, I just rather invest in productive assets rather than unproductive assets. So gold, jewelry, 
those things are unproductive assets. They are their assets because you can sell it for, for profit, but they're producing nothing on their own when they're sitting there. To hear more from Germinal Van, you can find his books on Amazon or you can read his publication, The Lake Street Review, which also has a podcast. Again, you could invest in any physical asset. There is nothing special or twinkly or sparkly about gold except its appearance. You could put that money into cotton. You could put that money into plastic. You could put that money into anything. And there's a reason why we created financial instruments to put our money into and not just rocks. Who wants rocks? Exactly. I think I've never really heard people talk about the inefficiencies that are involved with precious metals kind of as a whole. For one, mining is extremely expensive. And let's say, you know, not even to mention how horrible it is to the environment. I mean, I know I have, have you ever like flown over an open mine? No. It truly looks like a bomb has gone off. I mean, and you have toxins. I mean, it's like a worker exploitation. Plus, like, do you really want the entire economy's value to be determined by how much society works at at? mining? Yeah, exactly. Then let's say, let's say you do have some, right? Then what do you have to do? You can't just lay it around. You can't just put it in a wallet. You have to pay to store it and you need to store it in somewhere ostensibly safe, right? (laughs) Everybody's going to have a Fort Knox. How to train your dragon to guard your gold. Like, guys. Yeah, basically. I mean, I ha- like I mentioned before, I've had clients who have inherited gold. And when they try to sell it, oh, my gosh, it is such a pain in the ass. First off, it's all middlemen, right? Mm-hmm. You, there's no centralized place you can just take gold and get, like, the basic amount. Because <laughs> compared to so many other things, it is useless. People are trying to make money and the margins are very, very thin. So you have a lot of hucksters out there and a lot of people just outright scamming people. I was watching this YouTube video of this guy explaining his story of how he went to like buy some silver and he went into some of the tactics that they were using. So he showed these two silver bars that looked, I mean, To us, I mean, they look completely identical, except the stamps on them were just a little bit different. One was like called a sunshine bar and one was called something else. And he bought both of these bars at the exact same place. And when he went back to sell them, they're like, oh, this one is worth 15% than that one. He's like, what do you, what do you mean? Like you sold me both of these and ostensibly they should be worth the same yeah. Amount. <laughs> it's not like you can do anything with them either. Like they're just however you stamped them, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's just it's just rife with just like landmines of ways to get scammed and ultimately lose out on the underlying value. And then finally, this I did not know before doing this episode. Let's say you buy gold and you hold it for a year. If you then sell it, you pay much higher taxes on it. So the marginal rate of tax when you sell gold is up to 28% on any profit you made, which is way different from like the 15% like flat capital gains rate on like stocks or bonds. So it's, it's, you know, it's super inefficient to sell. You're in a place where lots of people are looking to make a buck and you have to pay a lot of tax on it. Yeah. I mean, and it's not like you have the backing of something, again, like a government to say like, well, if things get cratered, they will be invested in the stability of this. You know, so. I think, you know, gold as a financial investment honestly isn't really what we're talking about here because it's so easy to figure out like, oh, this is this is not a good idea. <laughs> you know, you can hear an ad, spend five minutes on Google and figure out, oh, this is not a wealth maker. It's very super risky. But it does, you know, it, it is an investment tool. I mean, I do know people that, for example, feel like they really want to diversify. And so they do things like buy gold ETFs, which are like 
exchange-traded funds. So, like, if you want to get in on the game, there are definitely better ways to do it than buying actual physical gold. But ultimately, it just all comes down to the same problem. There is a limited amount. And if you're getting in on the train now, as opposed to your great-great-great-grandpa, you're going to lose out. It's just not going to work out. Yeah. And ultimately, it does just come back to, like, it it's a good narrative like it sounds yeah. it sounds correct and frankly like a lot of financial instruments do sound like scams even when they aren't because it sounds like someone's taking your money and doing some money magic with it and then bringing you back money but why isn't it more and like and 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 usually what we're used to seeing is people get like super rich in financial markets it's not sexy to say like you, here's a really stable rate of return yeah. you, you know you're going to be doing compound interest it's not <laughs> exciting what is exciting is to be Scrooge McDuck and dive into a pile of gold coins 100% like I'd much rather that than just like log into my index funds like <laughs> it would make for a very interesting instagram stories <laughs> So in conclusion, I think whenever it comes to money, the right answer and the thing that's going to create the most stability in your life is just usually not the sexiest one. It's not flashy. It's not shiny. You are not a wizard. You are not on an adventure. You need to do proper financial planning. There's no silver bullet. as, <laughs> But for just $39.99. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks for hanging around with us today. Yeah. Stay golden, but stay away from gold. And we'll see you next time here at Too Good to Be True. Well, that's the show for the week. You can find Too Good to Be True wherever podcasts are available. And while you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show and leave us a review. I've been Ryan Houlihan, and you can find me on all social media at Ryan Houlihan or on my personal YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Ryho. That's at R-Y-H-O. I've been Julia Lorenz Olson. You can find me on YouTube at my PBS show, Two Cents. And every once in a while, I'll look at Instagram. My handle is at yay, it's Julia. 